Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And then the journey sort of just went just from having one child to having six children. And I didn't intend to have six children. It's just happened. And I love, I love that I'm part of a big family and I love how my children are part of a big family. For me, parenting has never been about being biologically linked to a child. If I've got a pound for every time it's said I would be a millionaire and they'll say, oh, I bet your mum's happy for the break, isn't she? And I'll say, oh no, I'm a single dad. Hello, fabulous listener. Welcome to Some Families. We are a podcast that's dedicated to celebrating LGBTQ plus families like my own family and like my co-host's gorgeous family. Co-host, are you there? Hello. Yes, I'm here. I've got I've got to stop doing like stupid voices <laughs> out and about because I do it so much with my daughter. And I'm always just like being a character or doing a stupid voice. And then I find myself like in work meetings or just all the time. It's like not sexy. Can you do the episode as your Easter Bunny voice? Perhaps? The East. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> she asked me to do the Easter Bunny again today. I was like, are you kidding me? It's the height of summer. Easter was so long ago. It's um, stuck. It's stuck. Oh, God. Well, the Easter Bunny actually made a visit to our house last week and collected all of the boys' dummies, which was very good. Yeah. They're their choice to have the Easter Bunny come and not the dummy fairy because they wanted chocolate, which I think is very smart of them. So they traded in all their dummies for some extra chocolate. And actually, <laughs> shh, don't tell them. We used the leftover Easter eggs that they still had that they hadn't eaten before. So it was a win-win <laughs> It's a win-win situation and they haven't looked back. So. Have they been asking for their dummies or anything? Nope. And I was really, because they, they were to the point where they would have tantrums about not having dummies, waking up in the night because they didn't have their dummies. So we were really braced for like a few weeks of yeah. hell. Oh, you're so good. And it was fine. We just did it. And I was like, I'm so pleased we did. I'm so pleased we did. You're so good. We've just been putting it off and putting it off because she's getting better. She's only having them at night now, but like... It's still a pain because, like, sometimes we'll be asleep and we hear, like, I dropped my dummy. And it'll be, like, four in the morning. <laughs> yeah. They've been sleeping better since it as well because I think they're not, they haven't got that crutch to, to hold on to that when it goes in the middle of the night, they're waking up. So Right. Oh, God, you're so good. You're so good at parenting. I feel like sometimes I, like, forget to do parenting things, like, with toilet training and, like, stuff like that. I'm so conscious. I'm just so in the moment of, like, getting through the day. Oh god, I, I fail on I, I fail on everything else, so don't worry. <laughs> but like the big parenting stuff you're really good at. 
Can you oh, come and just do a week you. of potty training? Uh, no, that's my worst. <laughs> that's my worst. Anyway, how have you been apart from dummies in the night? Yeah, fine, thank you. And I actually had a really sweet thing happen in that I've connected with someone through some families who lives on the street and she got in touch on the neighbourhood WhatsApp group, which has made an appearance on this podcast before. I'm sure I've rabbit on about I love your neighbourhood WhatsApp group. But what's really nice is she is an adoptive mum to two girls. She fostered to adopt, I think, 15 years ago now. And so we kind of, so she said she'd listened to the podcast through listening to our episode with Annabelle, the foster mum, because she works in the business as well. She's like a social worker for foster carers. And so she came round and we had like a cup of tea in the garden with her little daughter and her daughter, who's 10, played with my daughter and they got on really, really well. And now we've got a babysitter on the street because this kid can come and just play with my daughter for hours on end and dream yeah and it just made me think it's so nice to feel that even though they're not an lgbtq family i think there's something that just connects all families that have been conceived in interesting different ways like it just felt like we had such a lot in common and and it was really nice well they're allies in more ways than one aren't they exactly yeah See, that's really, see, that's what you're really good at. You're really good at socialising and meeting new people. I feel like you're always like, oh, I met this person. We went on for a lovely walk and oh, yeah. I did this. <laughs> I'm always just like, I've lived in the town that I live in for 15 years and don't want to meet anybody and just want to be a hermit inside my house. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you're going wrong. I know. That's why I've enjoyed lockdown so much, apart from the, the being locked in with the children. Yeah. But anyhow. How's anyhow. your week been, Stu? It's good. Although I had the same thing happen to me that happens over and over again and it's actually got to the point now where and I think we may have talked about this in a very early episode but I have a very a listener as you may well know quite a high-pitched feminine voice which a lot of gay men do and throughout my entire adult life I've always been misgendered on the phone and it's only recently that I've started using that term misgendered because that's what it is Mm. you know when I was when I first started work we had a little joke about it and we set up because I always get called Sue Sue is always like the the name that people assume I am when I'm on the phone and so in my old agency we even had a little long-running joke so much so that Sue became my assistant and we actually had an email address that was Sue at dot 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 and so if people were speaking to me on the phone, they would get the email right because they would think they were speaking to Sue. But it's got to the point recently where it's actually, I just think, to be honest, quite rude. And especially now that I think, and it goes to show how much we've changed our perspectives on gender, as per with the trans community, etc. Saying to someone, oh, I thought Stu was a man. Oh, I thought Stu was a man's name. I thought I'd be speaking to a man. And I'm like, uh, oh, so no. it's that. Like it's that kind of thing that gets misgendered, and people laugh about it. They go, "Oh my god, I I assumed when I was speak when I was emailing you that Stu was a man, and then I have to go, no, I am, and then oh, it no, becomes that's this like super imp- awkward, isn't it? Awkward conversation, I which I'm used to, yeah. and I I'm used to, and I brush it off. But I kind of think like, well, what if you know, and I'm not, and God, I you know, I don't have to go through that, and people do, but I'm thinking. You know, I could be somebody who's trans or I could be somebody who's non-binary. And why should I have to answer? What, like, why are you even bringing up what gender on the phone? Mm. What does it matter? What does it matter? I suppose it's a really good argument for 
people more and more companies people putting their pronouns on emails because it yeah i used yeah. to get called jeff quite a lot on email but on the phone there's not the equivalent is there no but i it, feel like maybe i should answer the phone going hello stu speaking he him yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's just because... it's annoying how brazen people are about it like rather than just mm. be like oh sorry stu of course they'll be like oh i thought you were a man i thought you were a man. yeah but and I get it. And from a parenting point of view, like I get all the time, I get, oh, is that Master Oakley's mum? Is that, you know, is that is that the mum speaking? And I'm like, no, it's it's her dad. And then there's always like a slightly awkward pause there. Mm. And it's just that natural, like, why do we have to gender people on the phone? I don't get mm. it. I don't understand it. So anyway, that's my little bugbear of the week and just something I wanted to put out there. So in today's episode, Stu met with an adoptive dad called Benjamin Carpenter who's not far from being a saint in my eyes. So yes, Ben is an adoptive dad, like myself. But unlike myself, Ben has actually adopted six children. And each of those six children has additional needs as well. On top of that, Ben was also the youngest gay male to be approved for adoption in the UK. And he was only 21 years old (gasps) at the time. Wow. Yes. Oh my god, just trying to remember what I was doing at 21 years old and it was in no way it was not responsible. Anything. No, so it was absolutely wonderful to speak to Ben and I think everyone's going to be incredibly inspired by his wonderful story. I certainly was, Stu. So without further ado, here is my colleague Susan's conversation with Ben. Just before my chat with Ben, I do want to give you a warning that we do cover the subject of grief and child loss within our conversation. Hi Ben, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very good. Where are you in the country? Whereabouts in the UK? Huddersfield, West Yorkshire. I really want to say thank you so much for taking this time, especially because I know you're so busy with the kids. So if you could just introduce who you are and uh, what your family setup is, Ben. Okay, so my name is Benjamin Carpenter and I am a single dad of six children or with additional and complex needs who I happen to adopt. So what ages are they then? From 14 down to two. So we've got a 14 year old, I've got a nine year old, 11 year old, nine year old, uh, six year old and then a two year old and sadly in 2019 my little boy who was three passed away quite suddenly. Oh I'm sorry to hear that Ben. It's, it's It was very sad at the time and you know we've reflected on it and we you know as a family we're so glad we offered him a wonderful a wonderful family home and a unit you know. I can't imagine what that must have been like my little boys three at the moment so um yeah. yeah. Must have been... It was tough we're a tough family and we we praised the memorable moments and we didn't dwell on the, obviously the naturally the sad moments. We, we praised the joyous moments that he had in his short little life. And, and we've taken that forward, really. And, and then, you know, shortly after I adopted, again, a little two-year-old boy, yeah. So your adopted children, I have three children and we adopted in two different stages and they are all biological siblings. Are you any of yours biological siblings? or two daughters they are half biological sisters and i'm not quite sure whether they have them now they were called exchange dates back in the day and i went along and i met a sort of profile of a little girl uh, as you can imagine 
going along to one of them profiles with your profile events with my profile mm. and saying, you know, oh, single dad wants to take on a child with disability. It was like, here, 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 profiles. <laughs> and uh, so I came across this little, this, this profile saying, could you be my parent? But she was actually, even though they knew there was a sibling, the court proceedings hadn't gone, gone ahead at that point. So they sort of came separately and it was unsure whether or not I was going to take her younger sibling or not it was only because they literally and and please don't think this was it wasn't a guilt trip at all because she had her own needs individual needs they couldn't family and it was about settling in ruby settling her in making sure that she was safe and secure and it just didn't feel right and then all of a sudden something clicked and i just said yeah why not so they ended up but they had no idea of each other they didn't know each other they didn't even know each of each other's existence. They didn't have any contact or anything. So it was, but it's really strange because even though they are, they, they never knew each other out of all my children and they all get on, can I add, they have this bond, this birth bond. So I just want to ask Ben about when you said you went into the process and you went to that exchange day for the first time and you had it in your mind that you wanted to have a child or you were open to having a child with complex or additional needs. What was it that made you go in with that? Because that's obviously not the necessarily the typical way that people go into things. Yeah, it was like forward, like, like fast forward, should we say rewind. I had worked within the care sector for many years and even though it was working with the elderly at that point, I knew I'd find my I found my niche in caring. But there was just that little something missing, constantly missing. And I think, what is it? What is missing from my life? And I sort of applied and I went to work with children and adults with quite an array of disabilities. And within walking through the doors within the first five minutes, I can hand on heart say, wow, this is where I want to be. I love it. I love everything about it. I love everything it stands for, which is equality and dignity. I love it all. And and as as I sort of embarked on my adventure, working my way up, you know, starting from like a carer to like a senior, there was just still that niggle. And I, you Mm -hmm. see, for me, and, and you will understand this, you will probably understand this. For me, parenting has never been about being biologically linked to a child. I'm that person that's there at school plays. I'm that person that's there when they're poorly. I'm that person's there that when they can't quite get their hair straight enough, I'm there and I get that that love back and that thank you and that praise. And that's what wraps up parenting for me. So I thought if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to adopt, now bearing in mind, this is going back. I was told that I was the first single gay adopter 21-year-old adopter to ever adopt in the UK at the time. And I've actually been told that that sort of spun out sort of worldwide because even though the law stated you could be 21, there isn't very many 21-year-old gay guys that come forward to adopt because, after all, you know, 21-year-olds are out, especially on the gay scene, enjoying life. I would imagine as well, not just from an LGBT point of view but even from a heterosexual point of view I, yeah, I'd imagine there's not many 21 year olds who are uh, out there looking to adopt because what year was that then that you adopted so 2004 and then the journey sort of just went just from having one child to having 
six children and I didn't intend to have six children. It's just happened. And I love, I love that I'm part of a big family and I love how my children are part of a big family. So I was matched to Jack, was a two-year-old little boy described to me as quirky. I was told that birth mother had uh, severe mental health problems and had taken medication through pregnancy and therefore uh, it had massively affected him. But I can remember opening that door and the, the preparation work had been done with the foster carer with him. And he sort of op- I opened the door and he went, Daddy, right? And I can just remember that feeling. It was an exciting feeling, but like a, oh my God, what is what is happening here? You know, I've never been called Daddy. I've never had to say, this is my son. Go forward, he's now 14. And he is still a very quirky boy. He has autism. He has OCD traits. He has learning difficulties. But he is the most loving little... Well, I always call him my little boy. He'll always be my little boy, but he's 14 and he's almost as tall as me. But he's just a wonderful, wonderful boy. He really is. So then it was two years after. I thought, well, I've got a boy. Let's have a girl. I've got a boy and a girl. What more can you ask for? So... That is when I went to this said exchange date. So I've introduced myself as, you know, single dad, want to adopt a, a, a little girl, disabilities. As you can imagine, I had literally a stack of profiles, which was, if I'm honest with you, very, very daunting. It's overwhelming. The amount of profiles you get sometimes can be yeah. incredibly overwhelming. I'm thinking, well, I could take you, I could take you, I could take you. I had to stop my heart from saying, you know, from ruling. And I had to say, right, what little girl is going to work and fit into our family here? Because this has to be right, which can be heartbreaking because you feel as if you're letting all these children down. Mm. People often ask me, like, how did you you choose your children? And I think it's a really difficult question to answer because... Yeah. it's it's so much down to just feeling and just when it you know it's right you 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 do know it's right but then it's also so hard just to be looking at a p- profile right no one can understand that mm. until that moment because yeah. you'll you will understand when i say it has to be right because people always say to me oh how could you do it how can you let the, say no to these children but ultimately by saying no if it doesn't feel right is good for that child because it means the risk of it breaking down or the risk of another move for that child is, you know, is lessened. And and I sort of had all these profiles. I thought, right, I'll go home, I'll digest them all and I'll take my time. There's no rush. And, you know, I'll I'll get in contact with social workers if it feels right. I saw this, this profile and it said, my name is Porsche. Could you be my parent? And I thought, oh my goodness me, this, this just something drew me to her. And I sort of read about her and I knew it felt right. So I went home and I showed my mother all these profiles and my mum was getting quite excited. And she just said, that's your daughter. And it was the same one that I really felt quite, quite strong about. Mm. And I said, what makes you think that? She went, I really don't know, Ben, but I can tell you that is your daughter. It's this weird you know? feeling, isn't it, that you just, that you know. You don't know where that feeling comes from. You don't know where that feeling comes from. It just happens, mm. doesn't it? Going back to what you said earlier about people who sometimes go, like, you don't know what it's like to be a biological parent, but people don't know what it's like to feel that feeling as well. And and exactly. I think that don't underestimate that that connection that people can have with a child 
like I feel that there's the right child for everyone. Definitely. So, you know, one thing from to another, when her social worker came out, she said, I have to let you know there is a sibling who's just been born who has her own disabilities. What's your thoughts? What's your feelings? And I said, at this moment in time, I need to concentrate on this adoption, settling her in. She has quite severe anxiety and separation issues. And for a long time, for a long time, it just didn't feel right mm. that I'm taking on another child just for that feeling of keeping them together. And I thought, am I being selfish? You know, is this right? And like I said, something just clicked, something clicked. Uh, and I sort of said, if we're going to do this, I want it to be done slowly and gradually and, and, and make sure that it's right for us as a family. It became quite evident early on, really, even though she has needs uh, her needs involve deafness she, she settled in pretty quickly you know even though ruby at the time had severe complex needs you know she's missing the radius bones in her arms she got severe scoliosis she's registered as blind you know she had a cleft palate she was tube fed she was in a wheelchair quite complex little girl so you know a couple of years went by and i thought right i've got a boy and two girls Let's go for two boys, two girls, even it completely out. That's me done. I've always had a passion caring for children with Down syndrome and adults with Down syndrome. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, if it takes five years, it takes five years. I'm not bothered. So I applied to adopt a child, not to five, boy with Down syndrome. And I was told to expect a very lengthy wait because children with Down syndrome are highly adoptable. That's what I was told. I've not heard that. Why do you think that is? I think because, like any disability, Down syndrome, and it quite infuriates me a little bit, and a lot of people say, oh, they're so cute, they're so lovely, and it, it sort of infuriates me a little bit. Can you remember back when you were filling in a form of types of children you will accept and types yeah. of children you... Down syndrome is the first out of all the disabilities that, that's on the criteria. And I always say it's quite, you know, you've picked out six or seven disabilities, put them on that tick form, but there's much more, there's much more. So I think it's just that for people, it's a recognised disability. So, you know, I, I was told to expect to, to wait a long time. I went to panel on the Wednesday and on the Friday I had a phone call to say we have a little newborn baby's just wow. been born being relinquished for adoption and unfortunately his birth parents cannot cope with disabilities that they've relinquished him for adoption that's all we know at the minute mm. so they all became quite apparent when he moved home and he is a wonderful little boy he was three months old when he came home the plan was foster to adopt but unfortunately it didn't quite work out that way because meetings with Cathcast it took so long there's no way that that would happen now it would mm. be he would move straight home, really. Yeah. But even though he has Down syndrome, William is in that that bracket, unfortunately, that he doesn't just have Down syndrome. He has quite severe autism. He's non-verbal. The best way to describe him is he lives his world in a complete bubble. And everything in that bubble is his world. Anything out of it, he can't cope with. He didn't have the best start in life. Not to mention he had two brain hemorrhages at birth, which... Oh, bless him. Like, Right. Yeah, he was quite a poorly little mm. boy. But now, I mean, he's active, he walks, so funny. And then I thought that was it. Two boys, two girls. Yeah. And 
some would say my hands full. And I was just one weekend, two years later, I was just flicking through a magazine called Be My Parent. And I was flicking through and I just saw this picture of this little boy who looked as if if he had serious complex needs. And I just thought, oh my God, he just sounds so wonderful to to fit into our family and just for the listener as well so be my parent is a magazine that is like a mat it's it's it it contains profiles and and details of children who are in the the adoption system the harder to place children so be that children with disabilities children from different ethnicities large sibling groups sibling groups and and large sibling groups as well which can sometimes be classed as hard to place children so the, the main obstacle to overcome was that I wasn't an approved adopter. And if they were going to go with me, how and what is the best way to do this? So because this local authority was like London Way. So they agreed to assess me as one of their adopters. And it was quite a unique situation. The family finder was actually my social worker. So it all worked out. Um, it worked. Yeah, Teddy moved home and he was with me uh, shy, just shy of two years. And sadly, he suddenly passed away at, at home, which was just absolutely devastating. But he had the best, the best little life. He went from being having a very clinical life because he was tube fed uh, via a gastrostomy and jejunostomy, and he again, was relinquished for adoption because of his disabilities and he was of Romanian heritage. And he visually had just one little thumb at the top of his shoulder and then two little fingers at the other top of his other shoulder. You know, he had a very rare syndrome called Cornelia de Lange syndrome, which Mm. isn't life-limiting. It's just sad that, you know, he passed away of sepsis, undiagnosed sepsis, and it, it involved me having to try to resuscitate him, and I couldn't do that. It was, it, was, it was very harrowing. But quite quickly, me and the children, you know, we identified all the positives that we had and the time that we had with Teddy and how his life was so enriched by joining a big family and being part of a big family, you know. That must have been so traumatic for you, Ben. And, you know, I really do. That must have been very difficult to deal with. I don't know how I did it. Looking back, you only ever... It was something like often, without it being sounding dramatic, you see it on movies and and you think it never happens to you until it does. And when I look back, everything just seems slow motion. We accept, I accepted his death quite quickly. It was the everything after it and still continues to be every now and then I'll get a letter that comes, as I'll say, you know, Teddy on or something, little things like that, that do, that, that do, do affect you. But, you know, again, it's always, it's always a memory now of happiness and not sadness, which I never thought I would over. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can I ask as well then, Ben, just in terms of, you know, coming from this as an adoptive parent myself and obviously contact and letterbox contact, I mean, how... And you're the you're the first person I've ever spoken to that's that's lost a, an adopted child. So I just wanted to ask, in terms of what, like, what is the contact then with the birth parents, and how did, I'm assuming they got notified, and how does well, that situation well, kind of happen? It's a bit of a sad story, really, because his parent his parents walked away and had no more contact. They didn't leave any any details apparently they moved back to Romania I always have this I I wouldn't call it a pipe dream because I'm a true believer that one day it might happen that I'll be able to meet up with her and share pictures of 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 a wonderful boy that he was and and what he actually achieved in his little life despite his needs and also I know this can this might sound a little bit soppy but maybe to give mum a hug because it would be like hugging my son again. I know that sounds quite soppy to say, and you know, but it would be like hugging him again, all over again. And I, I can but hope. I can but hope. That makes complete sense to me. The same family finder for Teddy contacted me and said, because I work on adoption panels, did I happen to know a family who would take a child who, with complex needs? And I said, I'm not aware I says, what are we talking here? And she said, a little boy who sadly suffered a non-accidental injury, would I consider taking this little boy? And I said, yeah, I will, absolutely. So sort of went through the process and then sadly Teddy passed away and it was absolutely right to take a break so that we could grieve as a family. I'd done all the preparation with my children, you know, about Louis coming home and I thought, and this wasn't done through guilt. I thought, mm. if I say no to this little boy coming, it's like my children losing two brothers because yeah, it's a double loss. I had done every bit of preparation with these children. You know, his cot was in the bedroom. So shortly after Christmas 2020, I, I, I sort of made the phone call and I says, I am in a good place. The children are in a good place. Let's start this process again slowly and sensitively and we'll just go with the flow so and then april last year uh, he moved home and he's gone from strength to strength and he has quite severe complex needs and um, he's a full-time wheelchair user he has brain damage he has cerebral palsy sadly the injuries took his eyesight and how old first, is he so he is two he's nearly three when he first came to me he he struggled to to love he struggled to let his guard down because every single person that had cared for him had sort of hurt him. And so he he just, all he knew what to do was to scream 
and to put this guard up and to never let you pass that guard. And I've worked with him intensively and I've got to admit there was a time when he first come, but I, I'd lie in bed on a night and I'd think, what have you done? What have you done? You just, this is just, you have the patience of a saint, Ben, but this is what, this is like above and beyond. And so I just sort of took a break. I went for a walk on my own. My mum said, go for a walk. And I went for a walk. And I just thought, this little boy has had the worst possible things done. He's lost his eyesight. He was a very advanced eight-month-old baby when it happened, who could sit, who was beginning to stand up with furniture. He was eating. And all that has been taken away, plus his eyesight, this boy must be terrified and he's just mm-hmm. moved during a worldwide pandemic. And you will sympathize when I say this in a two day introduction. Wow. And I thought this little boy needs to start from the bare basics. This little boy needs to have a bottle again. This little boy needs to be treated like a baby mm-hmm. and then we'll work with the rest. I identified one room for him, which is, now done out as his bedroom and that is where he stayed he needed to get used to a room without a big surroundings because of his multi-sensory needs and now my goodness me he's the happiest contentest funniest little boy who this morning was up at eight o'clock on school transport off to school because he goes to a specialist nursery and he's on school transport with all his friends and he's singing to himself and tapping his hand. And he's just, yeah, the difference in him is just remarkable. So that is my family. <laughs> what an incredible story, Ben, and what an incredible family. I can't even imagine what life is like for you day to day. I bet no day is the same, right? Every day is um, up something different. and Not really. It, the thing is, what makes my family work? is I have structure and I have routine. When you've got kids, it's virtually impossible to stick to that same structure and that same same routine day in, day out. But because of my children's needs, they sort of rely on structure and routine. So the routine within the house and the structure of the house, yes, is pretty much the same. So what, what support do you have, Ben? Like, do you have people around, like, what's your unit like around you? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate. My mother lives with me. I sadly, after my mum and dad got divorced 19 years ago, um, I said, come and live with my mum and, you know, you can sort of be a living grandma if you like, which my mum loves, she absolutely loves. And she helps me out as best as she can, bless her. Uh, she's got quite severe arthritis and it, you know, does impact her quite quite a lot. And then obviously with the children, they got two carers, which are their godparents. So I have them come in and they do some hours per week. But more than anything, Jeanette is my closest friend and and has been for many years. We've worked together for many years uh, and they all call her Auntie Jeanette. And we'll just sit and have a glass of wine on an evening when all the work's done. We'll sit and have a glass of wine, especially when the weather's like this. It's wonderful to sit out. You know, Good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that you do get to have a nice glass of wine and to sit outside because I, I feel like you've <laughs> you've earned it. <laughs> and I want to ask because obviously our you know some families is based on speaking to parents from all types of LGBTQ plus points of view. 
I mean, does that even come into things for you, like being a gay parent as well? Like when you have time for yourself or if you've come up against any challenges that, you know, through the adoption process? If I was to put my hand on heart, and I'm sure that social services, the old social services back in the day would agree that, yeah, there was some stigma around being gay, around being single and around being 21. Wouldn't openly say that to me at the time. But now working with these professionals, the same professionals, and different legislations, and a different work ethos, just thing wouldn't even be mentioned. It wouldn't even be mentioned. Do you think an uh, education has been done then through oh, the, the services? You know as well as I do, and the whole of the LGBT community, we are in a different place to where we was 20, 30 years ago. But there is always that fight for acceptance fight for rights and there always will be we are in a different completely different site now to where we was going back 17 years ago when i first started you know they couldn't they couldn't say to me you can't adopt because you get you can't adopt because you're 21 because them laws were already in place but they could have an an unconscious bias view and say but how is he going to do it he's gay one of the biggest questions i'll always remember was well, what happens if you go out clubbing and you, you, you meet a guy and you, you, you get together? And I'll say the same way as if I went out, if I was heterosexual and I went to a club and I met a girl and I got married the same way. I am very happy at the moment and I'm quite settled with the fact that I'm happy being a single dad. If you'd asked me that 17 years ago, it was very much I had a, a, a saying I don't want a relationship. I'd rather have a cup of tea and a slice of cake. It's much easier and much more enjoyable. But as I've grown and as I've matured over the years, who am I to say I don't want a relationship? Mr. Wright could be around the corner and could come and sweep me right off my feet. And I'm sort of, you know, caught up in this this romance. So how I address things now is I'm happy being a single dad. And who knows in the future? You say that you often get called like a superhero dad. I'm sure it would be the case potentially if you were female. But do you think there's an added element that because you are a man doing this as well, that it almost like it it became worldwide news because, you know, would it become worldwide news if it was a a mum who had done this? Yeah. Hand on heart, I now know a lot of gay couples who have adopted. But can you hand on heart? say that you know a lot of single gay males that have adopted and for that take the gay out of it single males you know i don't and i think a lot of people stereotypically think that a mum can do it but not a dad and i think a lot of people say i get it all the time when i go out with the kids and i'm there and i'm i'm, I'm pushing a double wheelchair that's, that's fastened together and then I've got um, you know, all the kids in tone. It's like a little bit like the Von Traps. You know what I mean? I can honestly, if I've had a pound for every time it's said, I would be a millionaire. And they'll say, oh, I bet your mum's happy for the break, isn't she? To the kids. And I'll say, oh, no, I'm a single dad. And they'll say, you're a what? And one, two, three, four, five. Oh, my goodness me. And then they look at, they'll look at Joseph and they'll see that he's Chinese and then they'll start putting two and two together. Yeah. And the same, but then you know, I have everyone that comes up to me when I take them out. We go for meals or everything. They'll say, "Can we? Can I just say, I have never seen five well-behaved children, and you're doing this alone and well done." But obviously, everyone in the area now knows me, 
and when I'm Ben's here or how can you help and it kind of works to a little bit of an advantage really because if there's never a table in a restaurant they'll always find a table because they'll say oh if it's for you Ben you can have it you know what I mean so that's so nice to have that community around you for my support sort of out of our home really it's within the community and people always want to always want to help it's nice and in terms of how you know your eldest now being a teenager and getting into those teenage years how have you do you address your have you had to address your sexuality with the kids at all and how do you discuss the fact if at all that you know that you are a gay dad he's asked he's never quite said they're, they're aware they are aware that I'm gay I never make a a big issue of it I'm just dad I'm just daddy dad well he's just getting out of that stage of daddy to dad but he still wants that reassurance of daddy on a night but you know when he comes home from school and his voice is deeper than what it was when he left this morning and he's all right dad he's I've never made a big issue of it and I've always said things to him and I'm when I grew up in the early 80s you know and I was the son of a vicar and my Oh, goodness me, my eldest brother, he sort of came out a long time before me and went off to be a hairdresser and to live in Cardiff and was this flamboyant character. So I've never had this, I've never had an issue with who I am, really, because I sort of learned it off my brother. He sort of set the way for me, really. So it was only the other week I just said, Thomas, do you have a a boyfriend or girlfriend? And he says... uh, Oh, I've got a girlfriend. I went, oh, Loveless is what's her name. So I never automatically went in with this, 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 do you have a girlfriend because you're a boy? I just said, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You know, I just made it like, it's up to you kind of attitude. Do you know what I mean? And that's basically how we are as a family, really. An amazing story. And I hope you, listener, enjoyed that as much as I did. And Lottie, I hope you enjoyed that as well. I did. It's weird listening to you without me. But I thought it was great. (laughs) It's just not the same, Lottie. Yeah. (laughs) But luckily, Ben was an amazing interview. And I hope everyone was inspired by his story. Super inspirational. And if you did enjoy that episode, or if it's a, a topic that resonates for you particularly... We actually had a similar inspiring story in season one of Some Families. We spoke to Michael and Paul Atwell Bryce, who shed light on non-visible disabilities. So have a listen to that if you are interested. Yep, and you can find that episode and the whole of the rest of series two and the whole of series one on Apple, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can head to our website, which is somefamiliespod.com. Or give us a good old-fashioned stalking on social media and you can find us at Some Families Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Oh, that was such a good episode, Stu, and such a good interview. Although I do have some serious FOMO that you got to talk to someone so inspirational without me. Well, I will never do it again, Lottie. <laughs> so for now, goodbye. Bye. This episode was produced and edited by Hattie Moyer. Some Families is a Story Hunter production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.